Amen, friends. Psalm 90, let's go. If you got your Bibles, pull them out. Psalm 90 is where we are going to be this morning. Um, and it's where we've been for the past eight weeks. And we are landing the plane on Psalm 90 today. Uh, we're coming to the last, the last verse of Psalm 90. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. There's a blue one underneath the seat you are sitting in. You can reach down there and pull that out. Psalm 90 is on page 551, 551 in the blue Bible. In your Bible, if you brought a Bible, I don't know what page number it's on. But if you open up to the middle, you hit Psalm and go to Psalm 90. Psalm 90 is where we're going to be. Now, uh, we, as I said, we are landing the plane on Psalm 90 this morning. Uh, we're wrapping that up uh, today. Um, but then we're moving into, kind of after next Sunday, we're moving into Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and then Easter. And then we move into... Uh, the season of Easter tide, and so here at Flourishing Grace, every every year we um, we have a we have a Good Friday gathering. Good Friday, six thirty p.m. on Good Friday, we will be here in this room. We are asking that you would sign up online just so we have an idea of how many people are coming, so that we can arrange the chairs, distance them properly on Good Friday. Um, but you can sign up for that on our website, flourishinggrace.org. Uh, sign up for our Good Friday gathering this year. And that is my favorite gathering of the year. More than Christmas, more than Easter, which I know is crazy and maybe, I said in the last gathering, maybe sacrilegious, but I love Good Friday. This kind of awkward moment of like the mingling of intense sorrow and intense joy. I, I, I love gathering together and just fixing our gaze on the cross, reminding us of what it cost for, for us to be brought near to Christ, for us to be restored and cleansed and redeemed. Um, it, is, it is, I think, the most valuable gathering of the year is Good Friday. And so I'd encourage you to, to, to sign up and attend, that, uh, attend on Good Friday with us. And then Easter morning, we have three gatherings. Since we're distancing everybody, we have three gatherings on Easter morning. Uh, 8 a.m., right? As I know I'm talking about the 11 o'clock gathering here, but we have an 8 a.m. gathering uh, on Easter. we got, we got to fill that, baby. Uh, 8 a.m., uh, 9.30 and, and 11, 8 a.m., 9.30 and 11. And again, if you could please register for that as adults and as kids, uh, if you could register for which, and let us know which one you're going to attend so that we, we can plan accordingly. Our staff can be prepared as we try to navigate this COVID style uh, this Easter. But here's the good news. Last year, we didn't have an Easter gathering. It was like all this weird what are we going to do? Online thing. We get to actually gather this, this year, and so we're really excited to, to gather for Good Friday and Easter. But today, as I said, we are landing the plane on Psalm 90, Psalm 90. And so I'm going to read through the entire psalm for us just to, one last time, reset our minds on where we've been so that we know where we're at this morning. Here at Flourishing Grace, we believe that this is the Word of God as a gift from Him. And so if you are able... Uh, and willing in honor and reverence to it, would you stand with me as I read Psalm 90 for us this morning. Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Psalm 90, verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to the dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning, and the morning it flourishes and is renewed. 
In the evening it fades and withers. For we, we are brought to an end by your anger, and by your wrath we are dismayed. You set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So, so, teach. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return. Return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants. Satisfy. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Make us glad. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. And let your work be shown, shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. Psalm 90. We've been in Psalm 90 now for eight weeks. Eight weeks, and we are landing the plane today. And so let's do this one more time, okay? Uh, we, I, I want to kind of give you, if you have not been with us, I'm going to kind of give you a full recap very quickly of the entire psalm. So verses 1 through 12, this is a prayer of Moses, as it, as the, as it says. It's attributed to Moses. He's praying over the nation of Israel. In the first half of the psalm, the kind of the first section, verses 1 through 11, really, uh, is Moses kind of stating kind of in a, in a very heavy, weighty way. It was, a, it was a long four weeks as we walked through that first half. This weighty way. I mean, just the truth of life. The truth of, of, of the life that we all live. These things that are inescapable truths of life. What John Calvin called the precarious condition of man. The precarious condition of man. And in summary, it's just really three things. Three things that Moses lays out. First is this, life is insanely short. We want to think it's long. We want to think we have this infinite amount of time. We want to think that 30 years is forever. And so we go about our days, hurry, 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 busy, 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 doing all these things. And we come to the place where we realize, I mean, most of our years are behind us. And we only have a few years left. It's moving by so quickly. Life moves so fast. Moses says, right, it's like a flood it's like a dream. It's like grass that, that flourishes today and then it withers and it's gone right by the next day. Right? This is our life. What, what is the, the, their span is, the span of our years is 70 or even by reason of strength 80. It's gone. Okay? That's number one. Life is really far shorter than we want to think. Number two is this. Life is fragile. It, you cannot add meaning purpose, significance to your life. You can't. You can't do it. Right? Moses says this idea, like the span of our life is 70 or even by reason of strength 80. And then he goes on to say, in their span, the span of our years is but toil and trouble. That's it. That's what you have. That's what you have. Your days are toil. Your days are trouble. trouble. Your days are filled with inconveniences. 
There is no meaning there, right? The great, uh, the great King Solomon. Solomon says, vanity upon vanities, right? Meaninglessness upon meaninglessness. That is the years of your life. Like, that's it, right? That, that is the precarious condition of man. And there's nothing you can do to change that. You can give all of your days, right? Moses says, you return men to the dust. You say, return, O children of man. You begin here. And you work 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 and you end up right back to where you began. We want to think of our lives as a line that we end here and we gain all of this meaning and all of this purpose and all of this significance. And over here someplace we die. But Moses says that's not how it works. Solomon says that's not how it works. The Bible says that's not, that's not it at all. That's not how it works. You end up at the same place that you began. There is no meaning. There is no purpose. The water flows into the mouth of the river and it flows out the end of the river, back into the same body of water, right? That's, what, that's how Solomon communicates it. It's just this, this ever in, never-ending cycle of the same thing. That's what it is. That's number two. And number three is this. At the end of all of those meaningless years, we will die, we will come face to face with a holy and blameless almighty God who will judge each one according to what they have done, Right? Romans 2.6. Every single one of us will be judged according to what we have done, right? This is what Moses, Moses says, who, who considers, right, who considers the power of your anger, right? Who, who, who thinks about that? All of our days pass away under your wrath, Moses says. All of our days pass away under his wrath. Like, this is what awaits us. Not one of us will stand before him and say, look at the works that I've done. Look how amazing they are. They're just like yours. They're holy and they're blameless and they're righteous. None of us have that. But that's what we'll be judged by. Moses says this, this is life. Calvin says this is the precarious condition of man. But then Moses goes on in the second half of the psalm, and he turns his attention to what we've called these imperative requests, right? Commanding yet begging God to move. I, we need you. Like, I need you to, like, look at this, look how desperate we are. And so he gets on his knees, and he begs God, and he prays kind of towards this, this uh, precarious condition of man. He prays, and we've given uh, six things. We've actually given five. We're going to look at the sixth one today. The first one is this. Teach. Teach us to number our days. Don't let me kind of numb myself to this reality and just move through life as though this, aren't tr this isn't true. I want to know every day, I want to remember every day the precarious condition of my life. I want to remember that my years are short. I want to remember, I remember, I want to remember that I can't add meaning. And I want to remember that I will stand before you one day and be judged according to what I've done. Teach us to number our days. Return. Return, O oh Lord, right? How long? If there's going to be any hope of me getting out of this thing, I need you. And so, so teach me to number my days. Return, O oh Lord. Right? Number three, satisfy. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, right? Don't let me go about my days wandering about trying to satisfy myself in all these things of the world that I know will never satisfy. We know they won't satisfy. I need to be satisfied in you, the one true thing that can satisfy. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Teach, return, satisfy, and gladden. Make us glad. Make us glad. Listen, if this is all my life is, at least make me happy, right? I want to be happy. I want to be cheerful. I want to be joyful. Listen, fill my days with gladness. And I know that they're just toil and trouble. I know that there's going to be inconveniences. But if I am made happy by the God of all things, if I am made cheerful by the God of all things, bring me joy. 
fill my life with those things. And then he says, show. And gladden, show. Show us what you are doing. I want to see your work. I want to know where you're working. I want to be encouraged by the fact that my God is always working for the good of those who loves him, love him. He's always producing things in my life. He's always working on me. Show me where you're working. And now we move into the last one. Number six, establish. Establish. And this is where we're going to sit this morning. Psalm 90, verse 17 we read it a minute ago. I'm going to read it again. It says this. Let the favor of the Lord God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. Right? This flows very clearly out of verse 16 where, where Moses says, show us the work of your hands. Right? Let your work be shown to your servants. Show us what you're doing. Show me what, show me what you're doing around me so that I might give my life to that, right? And now establish the work of my hands upon your work, right? This is what Moses is saying. Listen, I know that my life and my work, I, there's no meaning, there's no purpose, there's no significance in that, right? But your work, infinite meaning, infinite purpose, infinite significance. So establish the work of my hands. Let me join you in the work that you are already doing, right? Not that God needs us, to do his work for, uh, for him, but rather we need him. If we are going to find meaning and purpose and significance, it will be found when our work becomes God's work and when God's work becomes our work, when he establishes the work of our hands. This is what we long for. Your longing for meaning, your longing for purpose, and your longing for significance, which every single one of us in this room has, is ultimately a longing to join in the work of God. Because that is infinite meaning, an infinite significance, an infinite purpose. Establish the work of our hands. Now listen, you will find this, I believe you will find this meaning, purpose, and significance in your own work, your job, whatever you do for a living. You'll find it in your family as you raise your kids, in your marriage as you try to foster a stronger marriage. You'll find it in friendships, and your neighbors that you are investing in, you'll find it in those things. But only when you come to the place where you say, Father, show me where you are working in those things, and let me join you in the, establish the work of my hands in that, right? It's not found in the day-to-day -day of your work. It's found when you walk into your office and you say, Father, today, show me where you're working here in my office so that I might join in that and establish the work of my hands. Show me where you're working in my marriage and establish the work of my hands. Show me where you're working in my kids and establish the work of my hands. Show me where you're working in my neighborhood and establish the work of my hands, right? It's found in his work, but it's found in all of those things, meaning, purpose, and significance. So that one day when we stand before him, if you've given yourself to this prayer, and you've given yourself to this discipline of working with him and working on the things that he is opening your eyes to and saying, man, here's where I'm working, right? You give yourself to that, and you join him in his work on that day, right, when your eyes close in death, and you stand before a God who will judge everyone according to what they've done, right? What does he judge you based on? His work, because he's established the work of your hands, 
In the last two prayers of Moses, in verses 16 and 17, he, he answers the question, or he prays it again, he prays the answer of the question to the last two parts of the precarious condition of man, right? Meaning, purpose, significance, and this idea of being judged according to what we're going, what we do, right, are answered in the last two prayers. If we were just to be a people, Father, show me what you're doing and help me join and establish the work of my hands as I join in that work, right, it eliminates the last two. It eliminates them, right? That, that we would find meaning and purpose and significance. And as we stand before him, he would see the work of his hands upon us. He would see what he's been doing all of our days as we give ourselves to him. And so as we kind of sit underneath the weight of that and realize the significance of this, of our meaning and purpose and significance, the significance of being judged by a God who is holy and righteous and blameless, and we are not that. As we realize the need for this, the next question that kind of flows out of this is how do we join in his work? How do we join in his work? Now, last week, um, we spent time talking about the work of God, right? Sh show us, let your work be shown. Show us the work of your hands, right? If you want to go back, you can, you, can, you can listen to that. But now the question is, how do we join in his work? How do we join in his work? And we're going to actually take two, two Sundays to answer this question, right? Uh, we're, going to, we're going to start it this morning. We're going, to, we're going to talk more about it even next week. Now, why are we doing that? Because, because I'm a preacher, man. And it, like, I got I to gotta stretch out Psalm 90 even longer, right? Because eight weeks isn't enough. Um, no, we're going to take two weeks to, to answer the question because it's an important question. And I don't want you to miss the first part. And I, I think we, we jump to the second part and we miss, we miss the first part. How do we join in God's work? How do we join in his work? Now, last week I said that God is constantly working in followers of Jesus, in those who have given their lives to him. He's constantly working in us. He's constantly working on those who are not yet followers of Jesus. He's constantly wooing them and pursuing them and loving them and, and extending grace, common grace, and mercy to them, right? He's constantly working on them and constantly working in us. And we get to join in in both of these works. After Easter, we're actually going to spend a lot of time talking about this idea of joining in the work of working in believers, in followers of Jesus, right? It's, it's the work of hearts and souls. And we are invited to join in the work of working in the hearts of followers of Jesus. It's called discipleship, okay? Um, and we are invited into that work to, to be a part of bearing one another up and spurring one another on and teaching and equipping one another. That's a, that's a work that's been given to us. Now, that's not what we're going to talk about today, but we are going to lean into that work. The work that we're going to talk about today is the work of souls, the work that God is doing on those who don't know him yet, on those who aren't following him yet, right? This is the work of evangelism. Imagine that, evangelism discipleship being the work of God. Um, it's a revolutionary truth for us this morning. Not really, though. Um, here, we're going to do this through, through um, a well-known verse in Luke 10. Luke 10, 2. Now, before you put that up, Benger, um, I, I want to give a pop quiz. Anybody in the room, without looking it up on your phone, which I know you're already doing, anybody know Luke 10, 2? Maybe? What is it? No? It's okay. It's all right. Any, you know what? You got it. 
Anybody, anybody else know it? This is your moment of glory. It's passing you by. Luke 10, 2. I'm going to give you a hint, okay? Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, for the, for the harvest is oh, plentiful, yes. The workers are few. The laborers are few, yes. And? Oh. Dang it. I was hoping nobody would know that part. One, one guy, one guy, right? Here's the truth of Luke 10, 2. It's a two-sentence two verse. And we all know the first verse. We all know the first sentence, right? The harvest is plentiful, and the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. We put that on coffee cups, put that on little signs we hang in our house, right? We, we preach that. We, we will lean hard into that. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The second sentence, though, nobody knows how to quote that one. Nobody knows the second sentence. If you, if you memorize Luke 10, 2, you memorize one sentence of the verse. Here's how the full verse reads. Luke 10, 2. It'll be up here on the screen. And he, Jesus, said to them. This is the, him sending out the 72. Jesus said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Okay? So the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So in one verse, we see the work of God, right? And how we join into the work of God is laid out for us in one, in one verse. It is the answer to our question, right? We see the Lord as the Lord of the harvest. God is the Lord of his harvest. That's his job title. Not literally, but figuratively in this passage, as his job title, right? His job is he's the boss. He's the king. He's the, he's the Lord of the harvest. He's the one in charge of the harvest. He's the one in charge of all things. And the laborers work for the Lord. He puts them into the harvest. He assigns which fields they will work and what they'll do in those fields. He is the Lord of the harvest. And the harvest is plentiful, and it needs more laborers. And so what do we do? What is our role? What, what, what do we do when we come to the realization that the, that the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few? What do we do? Well, we create amazing strategies around how to, to increase the harvest. We develop programs and curriculums that will help us uh, increase the harvest. We send that, we recruit and train and develop and send out missionaries that will increase the harvest. We raise money. We do campaigns, giving campaigns, that will, that will because we got to get some money behind this thing in order to increase the harvest. This is what we do. Right? It is what we do. But is it what Jesus says to do? Is it what he says to do in Luke 10 2? I don't, I don't think it is. He says the laborers are few. Therefore, pray. Not just pray. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, this is not the Western way. This is not how we do it in the West, right? What we do in the West is what I just described. We throw money behind it. We raise up programs and marketing and strategies and events. This will attract crowds, and, it'll, and, and, and this, is, this, is how we're, this is how we are going to harvest souls. Like, this is what we do. How does it work? 
doesn't work. The church is realizing this more and more and more all the time, right? Our, our, our definition of work is flawed because it does draw crowds. It draws millions. Right? We can draw millions of people through, through marketing and strategies and programs and all of these things. We can, we can pack stadiums with people. But there's no real harvest. You guys know where the fastest growing church in the world is right now? Fastest growing church in the world. Anybody know? What's that? It's not China. It's not China. It's growing fast in China, though. No, what country? Country, yeah. The answer is Iran. Iran. Fastest growing church in the world is in Iran right now. Now, why, why might that be? Why, why is that? Why Iran? Well, it's probably because they have unbelievable programs in their churches. No, they don't, they don't have that. Maybe it's because they have just intent, like awesome, awesome evangelistic strategies. You know, they, they, would, they would die for that. Uh, it's probably because they have millions of dollars to throw behind their marketing strategies. No, they don't. They don't have that either. Um, it's because they're on their knees praying to the Lord of the harvest. Because there's a desperation that they have that we do not have. That they know that we do not know. When you're not allowed to leave your house, when you're not allowed to, to share your faith anywhere for the fear of losing your life, you pray more. You pray earnestly the Lord of the harvest. Friends, we will cultivate the harvest through prayer or it will not be cultivated at all. Prayer is the, it is the preeminent work of evangelism. You can grow a congregation, a program, an organization without prayer. That is possible. Yes, you can. We prove it. You can look around. It's proved all the time every day. But if you want to join in the work of the Lord of the harvest and see the harvest cultivated, prayer is our preeminent responsibility in evangelism. It's the first, and it is of the most utmost importance. Earnest prayer. Earnest prayer. We must pray earnestly for laborers. Pray for the people who have a passion for leading people into flourishing relationships with Jesus, that God would raise them up and send them out into the lives of those that we love. Now, why is this hard for us? Why are we not good at this? Okay? And the truth is we're not. Like, we need to swallow that pill right now. We're not good at this. Okay? Um, all of us in this room have somebody in your life, well, all of us who are followers of Jesus, and I know not everybody is, but all of us who are followers of Jesus have at least one person in your life that you would do anything for them to come to know Jesus. Any, anything. Like, you are, you are desperate for them to come to know Jesus. You, you would cut off your arm if it meant that they would escape the pit of hell. Right? You would do it in a heartbeat. I can think of many people in my life that I would happily cut off my appendage for. Like, happily. You can cut off both my arms. You can cut off both my legs. You can torture me and kill me. I don't, listen, if it, if it would save them from hell, I, I'm, I'm in. But do whatever you want to me. Right? That picture is fascinating. You see, what happens is we pray things like, Father, would you give me the words? Would you give me the strength? Would you give me the boldness? Don't let me say anything dumb. I need you to fill me with your words that, that I might speak it boldly to them. 
we write ourselves in as the hero of their story. I would give my arm for them. I need the words. I need the strength. I need the boldness. I will be the one who leads them to Jesus. But what if God was to do the same work through someone else? Not that he doesn't want to use you. Oh, he will use you. But what if he used you for something else? Not in the life of the one that you love so much. Would you rejoice still? I have this quote in my office. I was praying, this years ago actually, I was praying just for the, the harvest here in, in Utah and praying for, for flourishing grace and that God would do great things through flourishing grace. He would give power to flourishing grace. He would give boldness to flourishing grace. And in that realizing, what if he doesn't? And I wrote this down. It says this, there's much to do, nothing to prove. I'm going to ask the question, if God were to answer every one of my prayers for revival and renewal in Utah, but did so through another church, would I rejoice simply because he has done a great work? Would I? If he answered all of my prayers, would I rejoice simply because he's done a great work, knowing that he didn't do it through us? Flourishing grace, flourishing grace dies off. No one ever remembers it. No one ever knows it. No one ever thinks of it, right? But he planted 10 churches in Davis County that reached millions of people here and around the world. Would I rejoice simply because he has done a great work? Am I okay with not being the hero? Am I praying for laborers or am I praying for me? Do I remember who the Lord of the harvest is? He's the hero. I am not. He is the Lord of the harvest. And we need to acknowledge who he is. In Matthew 19, there's this uh, f- famous moment where uh, you know, Jesus has an encounter with a rich young ruler. Right? This idea that God comes to him and says, what must I do to be saved? And he's done all of the right things since he was a little kid. And Jesus says, one thing you lack, go home, sell your possessions, distribute the proceeds to the poor, and come follow me. And he goes away sad because he had much wealth. And Jesus then turns to his disciples and kind of this famous moment, right? Jesus says, says man, how hard, is it, it, how hard is it for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven? It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples hear this and they're like, wait a second. What? Why are we doing this then? Like we've given our lives to this endeavor and you're saying that it's impossible. Like, we've left our businesses and our jobs, our careers. I haven't seen my wife and kids, and I don't know when. What a, why are we doing this? You just say, now you're saying it's impossible. And Jesus turns to them, and he says this in Matthew 19, verse 26. It says, but Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Friends, if the salvation of fill in the blank, whoever that person is in your life, the person that you would cut your arm off for, if, the, if their salvation is left up to you, it will not happen. They're doomed. There is no hope for them. There's no hope for them. It's not going to happen. It's impossible. It's impossible. If it's left up to you, it's impossible. J.I. Packer writes in his work, Evangelism and the sovereignty of God. He says, every good thing will come, if it comes at all, 
as a gift from his hands. Now, this is true of all things, but he is writing within the context of evangelism, right? Evangelism and the sovereignty of God. And if it's going to come, if it comes at all, it will come as a gift from his hands. Every good thing, everything that you hope for, everything that you long for will come, if it comes at all, as a gift from his hands. The call of Jesus is to pray earnestly for laborers. Pray earnestly that, that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers. Send laborers in the lives of those that we love. Send laborers in the lives of our neighbors who do not know Jesus. Send laborers in the lives of our coworkers who do not know Jesus. You see, friends, you, you, you live in Utah, the least reached state in the United States of America. Like, you got to wrap your mind around that. Yes, the most religious state in the United States of America, but the least reached state in the United States of America. That's where you get to live every day. And the call in your life, the first call, the preeminent call in your life, is to be one who prays earnestly every day, begging God, send laborers. Send people who love Jesus more than love anything in the world. Send people who love Jesus so much and have a burden for this place. Have a burden for my neighbors. Have a burden for my family members. Have a burden for my coworkers. Have a burden for my friends. Send them. That is the call of our life. And, Father, and, and the truth is that our God has answered these prayers. He's answered that prayer. He's answered that prayer through, through several people that I know. He's answered the people through, through prayers through, through several people in this room. And this morning, I want to introduce you to some of them. I want to introduce you guys to Parrish and Sydney Darnier. And so I'm going to have them come up here. Um, Parrish and Sydney uh, moved here from uh, Grapevine, Texas uh, a couple years ago. Um, we, we hired Josh Gardner from uh, Church at the Cross. And, and Josh Gardner moved up here. You guys can come on and come on in. Josh Gardner moved up here from Church at the Cross. Now, Josh, you could say, is, is a laborer that we prayed for, which is true, but he gets paid, so it doesn't really count. Like, we, <laughs> we, we recruited him and pulled him here, right? Um, and, but these guys, through, through kind of Josh um, and through uh, Church at the Cross's partnership with us, heard about Utah, right? Experience, heard, heard what God was doing here and said, man, I want to give my life to that. Some of you, maybe for the first, when you've walked in here for the first time, the first people you met were Parish and Sydney because they're all living their lives as laborers here in Utah for this reason. So I wanted to ask these guys, I wanted them to share with you, man, kind of that first moment where the first time, man, God put into your heart and your mind, maybe Utah. Like, what, what was that? What was that like? If we were the first people you met, I'm sorry. <laughs> so when Josh announced he was moving here to Utah, he went around the church, family and friends, asking for support in three different ways, prayer, finances, and following. And he asked us to seriously, prayfully consider all three of those things. And the thought of moving here never really crossed our mind, like that was like a possibility. But the more we prayed about it, the more we wanted to be here. We wanted to follow Josh and Rachel, and we wanted to be here for them, and we wanted to be part of this community here at Flourishing Grace. So that was the, when he asked us to pray about that, that was the first time. Yeah. And so you, you kind of answered this, but maybe even a little bit more in depth. Like, what, what transpired from, like, oh, may, maybe Utah, to, like, this is where God's calling us. Like, this, this, I, like we're going to, I'm going to quit my job. Mm -hmm. I'm going to leave my family and my friends and all that I know, my, my church that I love, and I'm going to move to this crazy place like 
once we really started thinking about it, we started remembering what we were taught in the college ministry that we we're all a part of. Um, the college pastor would talk about leveraging your life for Christ, and it's not if you're called, but where you're called. And so all that came back up, and it just became a reality for us. Like this was something he was putting a desire on our hearts for. Yeah, amen. And so since you guys have been here, right, since you guys have been faithful to that call, what have you seen kind of a God do? What, what kind of work is he up to? We, since we spend a lot of time with the students, that's where we've seen him work the most. With the discipleship groups that Josh just started, he's really changing the way the students think, and he's putting desires on their hearts that, and we've been able to see, we've seen those desires grow since we've got here in 2019. Yes. Uh, I think all, all the parents in the room and, and myself, like, we've, we've seen that happen as well. It's been amazing. Um, as you kind of look forward, realizing this is kind of the beginning of our journey, right? Like, what are some of the things that maybe even the hopes and prayers that God has put on, on, on your heart for kind of the, the future of ministry in Utah? And Looking at, um, you talked about how the state is so religious, the suicide rates and the depression that yeah. come with the students. Biblical counseling is something Josh and I want to give to the students as a resource. Yes. Yeah, highest suicide, teen suicide rate in, in the United States. And, um, and we'd, love to, we'd love to see that happen. We'll pray, pray to that end. So, hey, can we do this? Can we thank God for what he's, what he's sending us here at Flourishing Grace? Thanks, guys. Yeah, friends, I, I wanted you to, to meet Parrish and Sydney, number, I mean, mainly because we, we love them, and, and, and it's, I think it's important for us to understand that God is answering these prayers, like, he is answering these prayers. Some of you have been praying for these for years, um, that, that, that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into the lives of your kids. You're welcome. Not from me, from him, okay? He, he is answering these prayers and some of us in the room like this is the first time we're ever really thinking about this or ever, ever really praying this prayer um and so that's, that's why i want to challenge us this morning is to begin to pray in this way yes we pray for labor we, we pray for the harvest too it's not it's not wrong to pray for the harvest right paul says in romans 10 1 says this way he says brothers my heart's desire and prayer to god for them for those who are not saved is that they may be saved, right? We pray for those. We pray for those people in our lives who do not know Jesus yet. But the primary prayer is, Father, would you send laborers into their life? Would you send people into their life that love you more than they love anything in the world? Send people in their life that would, that, that would work in their lives, do your work in their lives for the sake of the harvest so that they might be saved that we would become a people in Utah so desperate to see God move that he actually would. That there'd be a revival and renewal in our state that we could not take credit for. That, 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 that the world would step back and look, just as we do with Iran, and say, how is that possible? The church, the church isn't big and it's not rich and it's not blah, 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 blah. But, but God is doing a work there. God has showed up. What does it look like for us to begin to pray to the Lord of the harvest? Friends, if you want meaning and purpose and significance, if you want to experience the work of God in your life and you want to establish the work of your hands, you need to get on your knees. That's where it begins. I said at the beginning, prayer is our preeminent, the preeminent responsibility in evangelism. 
It's convicting, but it's true. And so here's what we're going to do here at Flourishing Grace. On your seat when you came in, there's a card that looks like this. It says 917 on it. For Psalm 90, verse 17. Psalm 90, verse 17, which is where we've been this morning. Establish the work of our hands. And we have 21 days between now and Easter Sunday. Right? 21 days we have. And so what I want to challenge you to do this morning, and we talked about this last week, right, is to begin to think, who might God be laying on my heart? Who is the person that God's laying on my heart? Now, now before you write a name down, uh, often, often what we do is we think about the person that we love the most that doesn't know Jesus, and that's the person. And I'm not saying don't pray for that person, but what we talked about last week is this. Rather than just doing that, praying to God, Father, where are you working? Whose life or in my life are you working on? Who do I know? Who in my circle of influence? Who am I seeing on a regular basis that you are working on? This person should be somebody that's near to you, somebody that you see regularly that God is opening your eyes to and saying, man, this one. And it might not be the person you think. It might be somebody you're like, I don't really know that guy. Like, no, 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 that's the one I'm working on. And then we pray, Father, would you establish the work of my hands? As I join you in your work, would you establish the work of my hands? We pray that God would raise up laborers in this person's life. Would you pray that, raise up laborers in their home? Would you raise up laborers in their school? Would you raise up laborers in their office? Would you raise up laborers in their neighborhood? Would you raise up laborers all around them? And would you bring them to the place where they are truly saved, where they love you, where they fall in love with you, and they love you more than anything in the world? And would you lead them into a flourishing relationship with Jesus? So on the back of that card, there's a place to write that person's name. And every day, for 21 days, at 9.17 a.m., together we're going to pray for that person. Pray for that one. Now, if you're like me, you're like, that sounds great, let's do that. And tomorrow you're going to forget. At 9.17, you're just going to totally forget about it. And so if you want, you can sign up. Uh, every day, uh, we'll send you a text at 9.17. that just says, pray, pray for one. Okay? And so if you, if you text prayer... 917 297000, right? You text that. You, if you text, put that in the body of the text. You send it to that number, okay? You'll get a little response from us. You'll know that it works. And then every day for the next 21 days, you get a little reminder. It says, Pray for one. Pray for one. After 20, 21 days, that's it. We're not going to keep sending you texts. We're not going to spam you. Just for the next 21 days at 917, every day, pray for one. Would you join me in this as we move towards Easter? And out of Easter, we're launching Alpha. Alpha is this amazing, amazing uh, thing for, for, for folks who are, who are new to faith, curious about faith, have a lot of questions. It's a place where questions get answered. We're launching Alpha out of that. Maybe, maybe that's the work of God. Maybe that's what God's going to do. Maybe that's where he's working. I don't, I don't know. I don't have the solution. All I know is he is the Lord of the harvest, and he's constantly working around us. And so let us be a people who earnestly pray to the Lord of the harvest. Let's do this. Let's bow our heads. And let's lift up this prayer to our God is where you're at. Father, would you show me where you're working? That's our prayer from last Sunday. Show me where you're working. Who, who, whose life, whose life are you working on in my, that I know? What neighbor, what friend, what coworker, what family member? Where are you working? Whose life are you working on? Let your work be shown to your servants. Would you pray that with me? 
And then just for a moment, let us be a people who listen. Listen for the voice of our God. Now let's turn our prayer. Father, would you establish the work of my, of, of my hands? Would you allow me to join you in that work? Would you raise up laborers in their life? Would you bring people in, into their life that love you more than they love anything in this world? Would you bring people into their life that find the fullness of joy and delight in you? Would you bring people in their life out of a burden and a passion to share your good news with those around them? Would you send laborers into their life? I challenge you to write that name down on that card and take it with you today. Hold on to it. And earnestly pray every day at 917, Father, I am desperate for laborers. I would give my arm for laborers. Send laborers into your harvest. Show us the work of your hands and establish the work of our hands. Praise in the name of Jesus.